Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. A very happy and enjoyable St. Patrick's holiday weekend. Coming up, Fennam O'Neill, Markets Specialist, Irish Farmers Journal, on the recent Navigating Global Trade Conference. Chagas Dairy Advisor, Adrian O'Callaghan, on Grass Management and Feeding Your Cows. Fianna Fáil Spokesperson on Agriculture, Food in the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue on putting a €60,000 ceiling on any individual farmer's BPS payment. But first, our top story. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, on whether there is now less likelihood of the UK crashing out of the European Union following developments in the UK in recent days. Uh, Given that this has been something of a roller coaster, who knows what turn it may take yet. So, I mean, we can't afford the luxury of not proceeding uh, with all the necessary preparations to deal with the possibility of a crash out. We had information during the week regarding the tariff scenarios that would have applied in that case. We've had confirmation from the Commission that they stand ready to take out the checkbook to help Irish farmers. I can also confirm that that is the case from the point of view of exchequer funding. Minister, would you be reassured to some extent by the reported statement from EU Commissioner Phil Hogan that the European Union would help and indeed I think you've, you're on record of saying that the Department and the Irish Government would be taking out the checkbook to help Irish farmers hit by these fantastic tariffs? Yeah, I mean the tariffs we would have calculated would have been in excess of 1.7 billion if they were the full tariff. Now what the UK published was somewhat less than that. But yes, the Commission has said they stand ready to intervene, and so does the Exchequer. And the Taoiseach has said that, and I have said that previously. So, um, you know, in the context of a crash out Brexit, uh, you know, that response will be ready uh, for for Irish agriculture. Um, Because of the significance of it to the Irish economy, it's our biggest indigenous industry. It goes into every rural parish and every townland in the country. So, Yes, you know, we will be ready to respond in a meaningful way that will mitigate the impact of those tariffs. Any chance at all for the suckler people, any suckler people listening or people behind the beef plan, <coughs> any indication at all that the government might be able to get that €200 Euro they've all been pressing for? We you know, have some of the welfare thing, but any chance of that €200 Euro support per animal for the sucklers? And no, John. I mean, what targets have said already clearly is that the level of support that's available from the state through the various schemes that we administer is in excess of €500 presently. What we are trying to do uh, is not 
through a coupled payment of 200 euros per cow, increase further the the uh, stock. What we are our interventions are aimed at is improving the genetic merit of the herd and delivering income directly into farmers' pockets because a coupled payment, as per previous interventions that we had um, in in the past, leaks into the processing po- processors' pockets rather than directly into farmers because it's reflected in the price that ultimately pays. What we have done is put 50 million euros additional back into ANC payments. We've put 20 million euros back into a new initiative for the beef sector called the Beef Environmental Programme. We're facilitating uh, producer organisations by funding their start-up costs. That's addressing the, the weakness of the farmer in the supply chain to a certain extent through input negotiations and negotiations as a group with processors. So I think their practical interventions, as well as obviously promoting the live trade, which is another uh, competitive, uh, you know, imperative in, in, in the uh, supply of beef. Uh, so, I mean, our interventions are multiple and I think they're appropriate. Leridge at Sherberg. Any good news at all to report? Leridge uh, at Sherberg, uh, a call there for increased Leridge. Look, I'm very conscious of this, and I'm particularly conscious of what's happening at the ringside in March in terms of calf sales. Uh, Still, it is the case that if you have a quality beef cross uh, calf for sale, there's a decent price, but there is a difficulty with freezing bull calves. Now, factually, what is the situation? There are more calf exports to date this year than there were this time last year. The graph has been going increasingly upwards, and it will go up again this year. There is a particular problem with layerage spaces in France, this week, we secured an additional uh, 400 layered spaces in, 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 in Cherbourg. But what I will not do, what I will not do is condone or facilitate illegal transport of calves uh, for export because that runs the risk of bringing the entire edifice of the calf export uh, business to a shattering halt. And I'm really, really surprised that some farm organizations in the you know, quest for a headline have called on me effectively to break the law in terms of calf transport. That I will not do. That I will not do because to so do would bring the entire calf export industry to a shuddering halt. And that is something that I will not uh, stand over. We have to comply with regulations. The French have made it very clear to us that we have to comply with regulations. The Commission have made it very clear to us. We've had prosecutions in the past, uh, not too long ago, for people who broke the regulations, and they run the risk of bringing the entire business to a halt. So I will insist on compliance with the law. I have met with the exporters on a number of occasions since summertime of last year, and I said to them at that stage, we were going to have an increased number of Frisian bull calves at the ringside this spring. And I said to him, I have put €750,000 into their pockets by virtue of reducing the levy by 450 per calf on export. And I ordered them to work at the provision of layerage facilities in France. But of course, none of them did that. And that's a really tragedy. I've also, you know, through parcels, uh, a boat available and asked them to step up to the plate in terms of the modifications that are necessary for that board. Regrettably, they're not doing that either. And I think there's a role that the state can play, but there's a role that the industry itself must play, and it's not for the state to directly provide layerage facilities in, in, in Cherbourg or anywhere else. And I think it's regrettable that the exporters are not active in that space. 
Minister, you met with the new Minister for Agriculture in Turkey. You met with the new Turkish Minister recently in Istanbul in Turkey. Any indications there that they might be about to resume a profitable live trade or a good exchange in agri-technology between the two nations, Turkey and Ireland? Yeah, I had a very uh, productive meeting uh, within the last week with the Minister. Um, he has said that the, industry, the export opportunities will reopen in the second half of this year. Um, I don't have a firm date for that, but it is a very important market uh, for us. We're also active in terms of looking for live export opportunities in Libya, across North Africa, um, and of course, obviously, live exports uh, for weanlings uh, to the continent as well, to other EU member states, particularly Spain, where we had a very uh, lucrative market previously. So we're active across all of those market areas looking for new outlets. Turning to EID and the factories and marts, there are reports there that some sheep people are very confused. They get the impression that for the factories and marts, the EID identification and processing is not mandatory and that uh, CPRs are where to have been set up and the CPRs would mean that farmers didn't have to record individual tag numbers with EID and they feel that's very unfair if it's um, voluntary as it were for the factories in Mars but compulsory for the sheep flock owners who are paying they reckon about 2 million euro per year in implementing that measure Well firstly we have provided a subsidy to farmers and I can understand to a degree farmers frustration with some marts. I think there's an element of hardball being played here uh, by marts who are saying that they won't if they don't, uh, it's obviously imperative and logical that farmers wouldn't supply their sheep to those outlets. So I would implore on all those marks, if they want to continue the trade, they have to put in the necessary infrastructure to be a central point of recording for that data. So this is the best available technology for traceability. Uh, it's in place. In fact, it's in place in Northern Ireland. It's in place in the UK, Scotland, Wales, US. Uh, electronic identification. We claim to have the best traceability systems for our cattle and sheep. This is the best available technology. Uh, I appreciate there are teething problems, but it is the right thing to do and the right direction to travel. While we are all diverted by the antics regarding Brexit, Mercuser talks, the South American beef nations, Mercuser had talks in Buenos Aires beginning Monday 11th and finishing Friday 15th, I understand. And I presume that yourself and the European Union, you're not letting that slip under the radar that the Mercuser might, uh, nations might pull a quick one and have something signed, sealed and delivered, which would really choke Irish uh, beef exports. Well, uh, certainly you haven't taken our eye off that ball. And in fact, I was speaking to the commissioner earlier this week about it. Um, it's not expected that there's any significant momentum behind those talks at the moment. There seems to be a, a level of disarray in the Mercosur side. And in, <clears throat> to be honest, that's beneficial for us as a new administration in Brazil. Um, and there doesn't seem to be the same cohesion or momentum that there was, say, prior to Christmas of, of 2018. So... No room for complacency, but not an immediate threat as we speak now. The next cap after 2020, there's been a call for a ceiling of €60,000 BPS basic payment system maximum to be brought in. So a ceiling of €60,000, I think um, the other party there in Fianna Fáil, the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on agriculture, he is um, pushing that concept of a flattening out that if you limit the, the payment for any individual farmer at 60000 well then there'll be more to go around and it would save a number of individual farm families. 
in, in principle, I don't have a difficulty with that. I mean, we are conducting and continuing with uh, a process of equalisation of payments, uh, you know, bringing the higher average payments down and bringing the lower average payments upwards. And that journey is, is continuing. Over 100 million will have been delivered from higher payment to lower payment farmers uh, in the current life of the cap. What I am really concerned about, though, is unintended consequences in that space, because sometimes you may have somebody with a high per hectare payment, but a low growth payment. In other words, may have only a low number of eligible hectares, and you could have a guy with a large number, an extensive uh, range of land of, uh, with, with a low pay, uh, payment per hectare, but because of the size of the holding, a very high payment. We need to make sure in that journey that we don't have unintended consequences. The other thing, which is very, very true, even if we were to cap it currently at 60,000, there are very, very, very few farmers with payments in excess of 60,000. So the gain to be redistributed, it must be borne in mind, in all of this is relatively small. And there's an awful lot of farmers would get way below 60,000. Absolutely. I mean, the average payment is substantially below that and substantially below a half of that and from the majority below a third of that. You answered a question from the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on agriculture and it worked out from the table of figures you produced in response to the parliamentary question that only 1% of farmers were getting over the €60,000. Yeah, and I mean, we, I, I think there is a real danger that we invest too much emotionally and politically even on that and, and the political points from it and not enough on the other detail to make sure it's a, a fairer and more equitable cap. Irish grain, you know, I don't know whether you are a proponent of GM, etc., but there is a perception with Irish tillage farmers that we are importing 1.3 million tonnes of maize in the current marketing year from Canada, Brazil and the Ukraine, and they don't have any restrictions on use of GM technology, fertiliser costs and plant protection products, and you find then that these non-EU feedstuffs produced to totally different lower standards, they're competing with Irish grain, and in some cases some of the feeds mightn't contain any Irish grain. Well, I mean, uh, the net point which we must remember here is we are protein deficient. We are not self-sufficient in proteins. So we, we do need to import. And the global market is dominated but dominated by GM varieties. That's a fact. Um, I, I would make this point, though. As customers, farmers can do a certain amount here by talking to their millers and saying, listen, we have a preference for, insofar as the materials are available, we have a preference for Irish grains and Irish protein sources because that does reward the tillage sector. And I think the interdependency of farming never came home more so to me than it did last year in the weather crisis. And then particularly in the back end of the year, when the Irish tillage sector stepped into the space and supported, you know, dairy farmers in particular by growing catch crops for them. And that mutual dependence, I think, came home uh, very much. Uh, Perhaps farmers in the dairy side and livestock sector that they weren't previously uh, exposed to their dependence on others for. And I think, you know, in buying rations, farmers should, where possible, support uh, the the native tillage industry by insisting on Irish uh, ingredients where possible. Two points uh, connected to the environment, we can just deal with them very quickly. It's really a reminder to Irish farmers about illegal burning of land uh, between the 
1st of March and 31st of August. That's the closed season for burning land. And again, it's illegal to remove hedgerows in certain situations. So those two environmental points, uh, just to remind farmers, they could lose their entitlements. Well, look, I mean, there's nothing more distressing for any individual public representative than dealing with a farmer who stands in front of him and says, listen, I've got a letter from the department. Um, My land was burned. Um, And uh, is there anything you can do? Very often they claim that, you know, I didn't burn it, somebody else burned it, it was an accident. And there's very little we can do because we are subject to audit in the department by the European Union. And you may recall, you know, in the spring of 2017, there was a very significant excessive burning, in fact, late into the April and May even. And the commission was over uh, and we are dealing with the consequences of that now by virtue of audit. So I would urge farmers to be aware of the rules and regulations here. Um, and to comply with them, because they are there for good reason. And we have no choice but to enforce the regulations that they apply. Otherwise, we run the risk of substantial fines from the Commission. On 4th of March 2019, you released uh, details regarding the contents of the Market Access Annual Report, showing uh, progress made, for example, overall agri-food exports to countries outside the European Union had increased from around $2.7 billion to $3.6 billion in the period 2014 to 2018. You said very rapid growth of 36% in that four-year time frame, and that's something we have to try and uh, maximise is now regarding our vulnerability to the UK market? Well, absolutely. I mean, it is part of our breakthrough strategy, but bear in mind, nonetheless, that the UK market is still the most lucrative market for many products, and it's the one we understand best, and it's the one that we can access at the most cost, in the most cost-effective way. So this reluctance to kind of avail of some other new international market opportunities, particularly outside of the European Union, you know, um, is understandable given the proximity of the UK market and the price they pay. And it's trying to find that balance. And, you know, business does that in terms of the processing sector, whether it's in dairy or or, or meat. Um, But look, we are in a very fortunate position. We export to over 180 countries around the world. And our calling card really is the quality and the sustainability of the product we produce. And that goes back to the commitment of our our farmers in every sector, dairy, sheep, tillage, the whole spectrum of Irish production is driven by quality and that is our calling card internationally and we need to make sure that we protect that. Thank you very much indeed, Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Minister Michael Creed, for joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. Thank you very much Thank indeed, you. Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, John. The Fianna Fáil spokesperson on Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Deputy Charlie McConnell, Luke TD, has called for the Pillar 1 Basic Payment Scheme, BPS, ceiling of €60,000 to be adopted in the next Common Agricultural Policy cap by Ireland to protect the maximum number of smaller family farms. Deputy McConlogue, what's the background to your Doyle question on this issue? Yeah, John, and, and uh, thank you for the invitation to your programme. Um, it's a clear Fianna Fáil uh, policy commitment that under the next Common Agricultural Policy programme, which each, each programme runs for seven years, and the current one is due to run out at the end of 2020, and it's a clear Fianna Fáil policy that under the next programme, we believe there should be a maximum individual payment to an individual farmer set at €60,000. Um, currently, that is set at €150,000, uh, and Fianna Fáil, whenever the uh, consultation period began for the next uh, the, for how the next cap program would look like made it very clear that it is our policy that we should set a maximum of 60,000. Now I received parliamentary questions from the Minister for Agriculture by way of update in the last 
week or so, and that outlined very clearly that uh, currently, within the current CAP programme, just 1% of farmers actually are above the um, above the €60,000 threshold. So about 1% of farmers would be affected. Um, and we, are, we, we believe it's, it would make the common agricultural policy fairer. We think it would make it more legitimate as well in, in the public's eyes uh, and ensure that it is protected into the future. And the other thing... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Is that we, it would free up about 74 million euro annually, um, putting in that 60,000 euro threshold would free up 74 million euro annually, and that would allow us to actually try to support younger farmers into farming better, and also to assist those who are in lower payments to get a fair crack of the whip um, uh, at the same time. So um, overall, we will be pushing that and hoping for that outcome now as, uh, as a result of the, the cap consultation um, uh, period. What do you think the reaction would be of those uh, farmers who are receiving well in excess of 60,000? Have you had any feedback on what the IFA or ICMSA or ICSA, the farm organisations, or those people would say? I think the IFA wouldn't have the same view as uh, Fianna Fáil would have on this matter. Um, and obviously, John, anybody who would be above that threshold, it, it, is, it wouldn't be something that they would be in favour of. Now, I would say that the numbers uh, with very high payments are actually quite small, uh, and the public perception would be actually that there would be much, many more farmers than there actually is getting high payments. Uh, and by bringing it back to €60,000, uh, firstly, we believe it would make cap fairer, but also it allows it to be, uh, it gives it greater legitimacy in the public's eyes, because I think it, um, the public don't like to see any one individual receive very high amounts uh, of direct payments. Obviously, farmers who are receiving high amounts, by and large, would be, would be substantial farmers in their own right and have very substantial farming enterprises and would be in a position to make income off their farming enterprise. Um, but the whole objective of the common agricultural policy itself is to try and give a good reasonable basic income to farmers while at the same time ensuring that there's highest of quality uh, food and high standards at reasonable prices and prices to the consumer. So that can be achieved by having a lower maximum, by, for example, having a €60,000 maximum, um, while at the same time ensuring those farmers that are on high payments do get the €60,000 maximum, and then they have the opportunity to, obviously, being a, 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 by and large in the full-time and, and, and a substantial enterprise, to, to build in that, whereas under CAP, we would believe that, that as many farmers as possible should be given a fair income uh, to commence with and to allow them to produce high-quality foods uh, on their farm and be rewarded for it as well. 
the public would be quite surprised to find that people who aren't depending totally, as many farmers do, on the basic payment system, race horse interests and uh, big interests. Sometimes people would be surprised. I think this came up at the AGM of the IFA some time ago. They said they didn't want uh, money going to people who were not relying almost completely on the basic payment scheme for their uh, livelihood and their income. So I suppose in that respect, at least we should keep these basic payment scheme amounts, um, moderate them considerably if they're going to people who aren't depending as many family farms would depend for their almost entire income for the year. Absolutely, John. I mean, there are many currently over 60,000 in terms of uh, as things stand. Many in that category would fall into the feedlot category, would fall into subsidiarities of factories, for example, and also, uh, as you pointed out, racehorse owners, for whom it is not, uh, it is ancillary income and it is not, uh, it's not designed as such, the common agriculture policy, uh, to target and supplement uh, such enterprises such as that. So we very much much in Fianna Fáil feel it would be much fairer uh, to bring in a €60,000 cap and uh, uh, the other key thing is I think it would enable us and provide us with €74 million Euro per year additional then to help encourage young farmers into farming and also to help more vulnerable sectors in farming as well, as well uh, using those additional funds that would be freed up as a result. How likely are you to have this implemented? Fianna Fáil were the, were the very first party uh, and, uh, to actually say that it should come down to €60,000. And as part of our CAP consultation, we made that absolutely crystal clear. Following on from all of the consultations, not only in Ireland but across Europe, the European Commission uh, a number of months ago published their draft document then for the next common agricultural policy. And that draft document actually suggests that there should be a new maximum payment uh, 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 adopted and that that should be between €60,000 and €100,000. So we were heartened to see that they were starting to take our our, um, approach on board. Now, the problem with the draft document from the Commission is that it does provide a lot of loopholes um, and we would be very clear that first of all it should be at the 60,000 end not the 100,000 end in terms of the maximum payment but also that there shouldn't be any loopholes that allow it to allow the cap to become irrelevant um, and that it must be a real a maximum that actually places it at 60 at 60,000 euro so we will now see how that evolves and we will certainly keep campaigning and look to push it push that to to get that agreed that it would be 60,000 euro Deputy Charlie McConnellogue, the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on agriculture, food and the marine. I understand you have a very important meeting to go back into. Thank you very much indeed, Charlie. Thanks a million. You're very welcome. Thanks, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Adrian O'Callaghan, Dairy Advisor with Chagask in the Mallow office. First of all, Adrian, welcome to the programme. What is the grass situation at the moment on farms? Yeah, thank you, John. So I suppose, look, um, maybe we just look back. Um, I suppose we've started, we're about um, a month into the to the grazing season, a month or six weeks. And I suppose we've started with a lot of grass on farms, um, about 20% more grass on farms compared to a normal year. And that's because I suppose we just got such good growth over the winter with the mild winter. We've had growth rates up over 10, um, which is probably two and a half times more than we generally get over the winter. Um, so and the current growth rates then are, are, are probably in the 20s which is probably uh, 50% more than we generally get as well so we've got a good February most people had cows out full time 
and they got 30 or 40 percent of the farm grazed which was well on target we'd be saying that we tried to get 30 percent of the farm grazed before the first of march and 60 percent by patrick's day which is uh, this weekend coming now um and like if we look back at it um look at pasture base ireland um the average farm cover for for a lot of farmers was roughly around a thousand on the first of February, and we have the same figure for the average farm cover one month late, one month later um, on the the first of March. So really, growth was equaling demand, or growth was equaling what cows were were eating. So um, the grass situation up to now, um, a lot of grass. Um, so I suppose we have the cows there. They're all most people have eighty or ninety percent of their herd calved at this stage. The grass is there, but I suppose the big challenge in the last two weeks has uh, is now grass utilisation. Um, we've had the same amount of rain, roughly over a hundred mils got on farms in the first ten days of March, and that that's equal to the same amount of rain we got for January and February. So, um, it's it's becoming a challenge on farms, John. But how would we improve on grass utilisation with difficult weather conditions where they occur? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, like, um, as I said, farmers got out in February. Uh, they went full time grazing and they went and grazed the lower covers to get through, uh, to get their, to hit their 30 or 40 percent grazed. But now we're with, with a lot of grass on farms, they're hitting heavier covers and then the grass or then the weather is coming um, against them now as well. So grass utilisation is becoming a problem. Problem. I suppose there's a number of factors we have to take into account to try and help this. Um, I suppose we must look at the cow first uh, and our appetite. So if uh, cows are in at night eating silage um, and they come out in the morning, um, they're full of silage um, and they're really, they're, they don't have an appetite to eat grass. So what we'd be kind of saying like is that you must create an appetite so that if cows are in at night and they're going out by day, they really should be probably out of silage at the feed barrier at two or three o'clock in the morning so that they have had nothing to eat um, for for four or five hours and then they go to grass, they have an appetite and, and they go and they eat. Infrastructure is the next thing on farms and I, I suppose, look, we need to be a small bit smart about uh, where we put our cows during difficult weather conditions. If you're trying to get out day and night and using on-off grazing, which I'll come back to in a minute, um, we have to be smart. So put the cows to the back of the field or put the cows to, uh, to the back of the field where there's no roadway during the day because you have daylight to bring them back out. And if they're going out at night, then we'll keep them to the front of the paddock at night then where the roadway is very accessible and you can just leave them out and bring them back in. Um, we'd be encouraging people to go day and night at this stage um, with the amount of grass that's on farms. And I suppose research from Moor Park would show that when cows are out um, for day and night, 22 hours, so they're out grazing for 22 hours, the other two hours they're in the milking parlour, um, that they're only really grazing for 36% of that time. But if we leave them out for two bouts of three hours, so three hours after the morning milking, they come in at lunchtime, uh, they go into the cubicle shed, we milk them around three or four o'clock, they go back for another, out for another three hours, and then they come back in at night. That going out grazing, cows are very eager to graze after being milked, and we take advantage of that. So on-off grazing. But I suppose... There is a bit of a resistance on farms to, to on-off grazing. Um, people are busy. There's so much grass out there now, we really have to go and try and get out day and night. 
so that's the the cow, as we said, appetite, the infrastructure, um, we have to be smart about it. The fields, I suppose, like we try and graze square fields so that we cause we don't cause as much damage. Long and narrow fields, cows are doing a lot of walking, causing more damage. We have to go to our drier fields as well, I suppose, um, and, and, and try and take advantage of that. The last thing then is the farmer himself. I think um, farms, farmers have to get out and walk their farm find the dry spots and go to the dry spots during the, the difficult weather. They have to be flexible. So if you can only graze the front of uh, paddocks because they're going to cause too much damage going to the back, well, just graze the front of the paddocks. Next week is going to be dry. You can come back and graze the back of the paddocks next week when when ground conditions improve. So we have to be flexible. We have to be open to the idea of putting cows out. And we will see the benefits of putting them out because on a lot of farms now where cows have come back in, um, protein percent is under pressure. Um, protein uh, percentage, milk, milk protein is dropping. Uh, body condition is dropping on cows. And uh, we have to be, we have to try and get some grass into them, John. So I suppose they're the, they're the things, appetite, infra- infrastructure, uh, and find your fields that are the, the, the driest ones and go for them. Speaking to Mr. Adrian O'Callaghan, Dairy Advisor, Chagask Mallow Office. Adrian in the studio, turning to fertiliser, what approach should farmers take with fertiliser? Yeah, so I suppose farmers got a great opportunity to put slurry and to put out fertiliser in um, in February with the dry weather. So most farms got the slurry out um, and they got fertiliser out, uh, probably 23 to 30 units of fertiliser out. Now, the next target is that we, we want 70 units uh, to be out for the 1st of April, uh, which is only two weeks away. And um, and that can be made up of both fertiliser and slurry. So you add up, add up the nitrogen and so that we get 70 units out. It's now eight weeks ago since fertiliser probably went out after the deadline o- uh, opened on the 15th of January. So we have to be aware of that, that the 23 units or the 30 units we put out is more or less used and we have to go again. I suppose there's a small bit of resistance out on farms to spreading fertiliser on these heavy covers. And I suppose really I, what I want to get across uh, this morning is that the fertiliser we're spreading now is uh, really for grass that we're going to grow in April. So that even though there's heavy covers and you'll be saying, why would I spread fertiliser on that? You're really spreading fertiliser so that when that cover on that field is grazed, it's going to be yellow, it's going to be white, it's going to be a little sick because of the, the heavy cover it carried for the last three or four months. And the fertiliser going out now is for get that going again and uh, for when you come back to it in April. Um, so I suppose the message is we need 70 units out. We need to spread it on the whole farm and it can be made up of both um, nitrogen from bag fertiliser and nitrogen from slurry. And um, that we're spreading it now for the grass in April. We go back, Adrian, to earlier in our conversation to recap the best strategy for feeding cows. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not going to repeat myself, I suppose. What I'm saying this morning here is cows have to get out grazing and we should try and get them out uh, day and night, even only for three hours. And and I've mentioned that already. I suppose the other thing is is that... um, that looking at feeding rates, if, if people are inside because of, of very wet soils and heavy soils um, and 100 mils of rain in the last 10 days, some people will not be able to get out for, for a week or 10 days until until it stops raining. Um, dim cows really are on a silage diet. 
they need to be probably getting a minimum of seven kgs of of meal uh, so they're getting enough energy and the protein level of that probably needs to be 18 or 20 percent if you're getting some grass into cows you're getting out by day and you're in by night um, i think we can pull that feeding level back to four or five kgs and we can definitely pull back the protein percent back to to 14 or 16 percent and if you're out full time well we can get away with three or four kgs of ration and a 14 percent protein um, in that ration um, I suppose the key thing now where we're roughly one month away from putting these cows back in calf. Uh, this is a critical, the next month is critical from a point of view of body condition score. We don't want cows losing body condition. We don't want them losing weight um, because it will be critically um, detrimental to the, to the breeding season when it starts in a month's time. So I think what we're saying like is get grass into cows if you can. Uh, if you can't, um, well, well, make sure they're getting enough energy that they're not um, losing body condition and not losing weight. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Adrian O'Callaghan, Dairy Advisor, Chagas and the Mallow Office. Thank you, Adrian, very much. Thank you, John. The regional IFA office in Cork wants to draw attention of members to a change of date due to the bank holiday for the Cork Central IFA County Executive Meeting. The Cork Central IFA County Executive Meeting will now take place on Tuesday, 19th of March 2019 in the Kingsley Hotel, Cork City, 8.30pm. Listeners kindly note change of date due to the bank holiday on Monday. This coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11, we hope to bring our listeners a longer report from Mr. Phelim O'Neill, Market Specialist Irish Farmers Journal, from the recent Navigating Global Trade Conference. Phelim O'Neill summarises comments made by Commissioner Hogan. Hello again, John. Uh, yes, the Commissioner gave a very wide-ranging address to the conference uh, and I suppose to summarise it in a, in a few sentences, as we have to do in the interest of time constraints, uh, I think his main theme was that, look, uh, Brexit is not going to be good for agriculture in Ireland or indeed anywhere in the European Union, for that matter, after the UK leaves. But he was very anxious to assure farmers that, look, the European Union has experience of dealing with crisis in the past, whether it goes back to the foot and mouth issue of 2001 BSE before that. But the most recent example he referred to was... Uh, Russian export ban, which was back in 2014. Now, it hurt our industry a bit. It hurt pig meat. Uh, but it was a major issue for Eastern European countries. And he went through in some detail about the, the mechanisms and the tools that they used then uh, to support agriculture in Eastern Europe and Finland in particular. Uh, and he was leaving, as suppose, his audience very much with the view that, look, Brexit's going to be a problem. It's not going to be good. Uh, but that there is a, a selection of tools there that they can use and will be using to offset the worst of the damage of that. So I think, um, and he was questioned on to some extent as well then by Justin McCarthy, uh, who's our editor. Uh, they had a discussion session afterwards. Uh, and he wasn't going to be drawn or committed on the specifics or the details because he said, look, at this moment in time, the market is performing. It may not be as good as farmers would like uh, on the beef side. Uh, on the dairy side, is reasonably acceptable. And uh, he was then, uh, he, he was indicating that, look, whenever there is a problem, uh, that they would be responding, but not before then. 
Uh, and then I suppose he spent uh, a good part of the discussion as well, having a having a bit of a go with the UK and the and the difficulties they have getting something through uh, Westminster, which, if you like, we can go into in some more detail. Commissioner Hogan, he knocked on the head this concept of our rerouting all our exports to the UK through the six county area, using that as a wide open uh, corridor. Yes, uh, I think there was a bit of amusement almost at, the, at that idea. And, and being a northerner myself, I have to say I smiled when I heard the proposal. We had a lot of jokes doing the round in the office about uh, could we get a, a boat launched somewhere out of Larne or out of Belfast or should we buy a boat or what our, what our next uh, strategic investment should be. Uh, the Commissioner actually took that uh, initiative by the UK of, of publishing their tariff schedule. He took that as quite provocative and, and he felt it was very much targeted towards Ireland. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Phelim O'Neill, market specialist, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, Phelim. Thank you, John. That's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on controls. The next uh, Farm Talk is scheduled for this coming Wednesday evening between 10 and 11pm. A very happy and enjoyable St. Patrick's holiday weekend to all our listeners. Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.